right, guys, this week we're going to talk about wolf hunting with Tom Schneider of Stuck in the Rut. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, the host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tan Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Uh, Really excited about this episode, guys. It's a topic that we cover a lot on the show, and uh, we are going to get right into it. You're going to love this guest, uh, somebody I've been following for for a while, and I'm, uh, again, pretty excited to have him on. So before we get to that, I need to talk to you guys real quick about some announcements that uh, it basically pertained to the episode from last week. Wow, uh, what a response we got off of that that episode that I did with Guy over at Western Contours, where we were talking about the, uh, I guess, the state of hunting and and how tr- hunters tend to treat each other and what needs to change to change the or slow down the trajectory as to the path that we're on. And I appreciate everybody's emails. I mean, I, I, I had so many, I've barely had the time to go through them all. Um, thank you guys for sending those because that feedback is super important to me. And uh, it means a lot and I get a lot out of it. And it helps me kind of adjust where needs, I needed to adjust and helps us kind of, you know, finite the focus that we need to be focused on as hunters and as a community. So uh, that's, that's been really helpful. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for those of you that, uh, may have got, been a little offended, uh, by, by some of our opinions, but, uh, most of the stuff we got was super positive and, uh, I'm glad we have a lot of agreement. So that, that gives me a really good foundation to go off of. Uh, and with that said, what, what we've decided to do at the, here at the Western Huntsman and talking with guy over the, at uh, Western Contours is we're going to kind of continue that conversation in terms of panel discussions as we go through the winter and uh, things start slowing down for a lot of hunters out there. But these conversations cannot slow down and the importance of those topics that we discuss cannot we can't pull the throttle back just yet. So we're going to continue those on. We've got a panel discussion planned for later on in the month of December that I hope you guys tune into, and I want you to send me your thoughts on what we talked about last week uh, and and what you would like to talk about and what you see as in terms of you know what would be helpful to us in the future. So send those over to Jim at the Western Huntsman.com. That is Jim at the Western Huntsman.com, and I'll read through those, and that episode will be uh, coming out closer to uh, Christmas. But this week... This week I'm super excited. In fact, I'm so excited. I've got I've got another episode that is uh, in the you know up on uh, up on base, but I am bumping that one back a week because of the importance of the the conversation that we're going to have this week. My guest today is Tom Schneider with Stuck in the Rut. And Stuck in the Rut Outdoors. It, it, Tom, did I say that right? Stuck in the Rut Outdoors? It's just Stuck in the Rut. 
just stuck yeah. in the rut. Okay. Right. Stuck in the rut is if you have not been following these guys on Instagram and uh, specifically on YouTube watching these videos, um, these guys are awesome. And what I love about them is, uh, like Tom here, is practically in North Idaho standards my neighbor, uh, and I like that. So Tom Schneider from Stuck in the Rut, we're going to be talking about wolf hunting and mule deer hunting, and I appreciate you coming on the show, man. How you doing? Hey, good. Thank you for inviting me. I, I'm excited. The, I, I'm Like I said before we started recording, I can't figure out why or how we haven't met yet. I kind of keep myself to myself in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Maybe, maybe I've seen your truck parked somewhere, and I'm like, well, I'm moving on, and and vice versa. Yeah, you probably have cut my boot tracks, and I've probably cut yours, and yeah. we just have never crossed. We never crossed paths at the right time at the right spot. So I'm just um, not going to the right spots because uh, you you're notching a lot more tags than I am, man. And I do go off the beaten path. I, I try to get <laughs> as far away from people as I possibly can. So that that is a thing I do. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yep. awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, can you let, let's start with uh, giving us just kind of a bird's eye view of who you are, where you grew up and the platform of Stuck in the Rut. Yeah. So we, you know, we grew up in the North Idaho region um, and I think it all started my dad is and he's an obsessive like he loves elk hunting and he did it long before i was even born and he has his, he had his own business logging logging business this operation and he was always in the mountains he'd take his own employees out and they would do these big hunting trips and and so i was pretty much just forced into it <laughs> <laughs> but like i loved it and so my, i mean i was I mean, I wasn't even the age to hunt yet, and my dad was calling an elf in front of me, which was really awesome. So my dad would take us with him. It's and way cool. Yeah, and so I'd watch bulls that he'd call in, and he'd stick with arrows and stuff. And, you know, I was picking up sheds. I, you know, he would take us to his logging jobs, and we'd pick up, the, you know, all the whitetails would pull in his logging job and eat the moss that winter. And then the springtime, we'd he'd bring all of his kids. You know, I was like eight years old and we'd be picking up big whitetail sheds. So we got into it really early between the hunting and the shed hunting. Um, our, even to this day, all the siblings are obsessed. That's what suck and rut is. It's all the siblings just videoing our hunts and stuff. And, and that's really where, where it all started. And then mm-hmm. as soon as I got, got aged to hunt, then I was, you know, I just hit the ground running. All of us did. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I'd say pretty much after high school is when we got into the filming and editing our own hunts. You know, before that, we just, you know, we were just notching tags. Sure. Just like anybody else. And so. And how'd yeah. that come about? You guys were like, okay, we, uh, we're notching all these tags. We're having a great time um, doing this, doing that. Why don't we film it and put it on YouTube? Is that like, yeah. how'd that come out, come about? So I think when we were growing up and watching this, you know, I, I felt like at an early age, we, we became, you know, decent hunters to where we were passing up, you know, whitetail bucks, muleys, you know, looking for a big one to shoot. Well, we would go on the sportsman channel, you know, at, at night and watch these videos and here's full grown man shooting young stuff and calling it huge. And, and I don't know, for, <laughs> or like ranch hunts. Unlike, unlike guys. private property and stuff. Yeah, you watch these ranch hunts and stuff, and yeah. you see these guys are in their 40s shooting stuff, and they're like calling themselves professionals. Like, 
like to us, we couldn't relate to that. We're like, we're out here in public land hunting, you know, this is nothing that we can relate to. And so we just mm-hmm. started doing it, started filming. And I had the idea to do YouTube. Like we were, I think at that time it was, I'd say it was about 2010 is when it all started. And, you know, we were starting to get a little bit, some rough footage going on, but we got a good, um, contact with Gunworks, and they were in the, you know, long range. And that's, that's really what got us in was, was doing the long range stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's about when all the hype was about shooting animals at 800 yards plus. And, and so they taught us a lot about how to film our hunts and how to, you know, use this longer range equipment versus what we used before, which was like a, you know, fixed scope Leopold two to mm-hmm. nine power that can only reach up to 200 yards and every year it get bumped. And so you had to redial it. Um, you know, we were running <laughs> night, night force optics and that's, you know, that you can, you can drop a gun off a cliff and that sucker will still shoot straight. It's, it's just incredible. The equipment that, that we've had, you know, and, and then it just, from there, we just hit the ground running, like I said, and, um, and we, we already had the knowledge and how to hunt animals. We just needed to capture it on video and just dedicating the camera to the hunt was the biggest learning curve. And yeah, there was the one thing that bothered us with the, with the television was television clean things up too much. They wouldn't, they didn't want to show the kill. And it's yeah. just like, well, that's the hunt, you know, the hunt is the kill. Like if an animal runs a little ways and tips over, we want to be able to show that. Yeah. We want to show a real hunt that, that people can relate to. And I think that's why people have liked us is it's relatable, you know? Yeah, it's real. It's not you guys – and forgive me, folks in the Midwest, I, it, but it, it's not some – whitetail ranch sitting in you know a, a tree stand or whatever which I, I have nothing against that i do that actually all the time but uh i'm i'm not on like some public whitetail ranch or private right whitetail ranch right and where they they have names for all the deer and and all this stuff that just doesn't relate to western hunting and and so i i know what you're saying in terms of and then they they'd clean it up and and they don't show the struggle that goes into the harvest, you know, and, and so that, and that's what one great thing about YouTube is there's a lot of platforms that now they show all that. They show what it really takes to get a screaming bull elk down or a wolf or a, you know, what name your species. And, Mm -hmm. and you guys were like kind of pioneers in that, uh, from, from what I've been watching. Yeah, we definitely were like that. We, we kind of were doing both. We did Sportsman Channel and we were doing YouTube as well. Uh-huh. But anyone we were bumping into, we started doing, uh, you know, we had a booth at the Spokane show. We had a booth at Salt Lake. We had a booth in Portland, Oregon. And anyone that knew who we were knew us from YouTube, not from television. Oh, really? Yeah. So everyone was, and that was, and a lot of it had to do too, was that first wolf in 2011. I, when that first wolf season came up, I'm like, I got to get a wolf, you know? And yeah. I, and I, and I got it on video and a lot of people knew that video. A lot of people watched that video and, and they were very uh, familiar with it. And so, um, then we just realized, you know, we just need to stick to YouTube. That's the future. Yeah. And, and so that's what we, we went that route and yeah, I, I say we were the pioneers. I mean, now there's a lot of other people that are doing YouTube and, and I'm all for helping people out. If somebody contacts me and says, Hey, I want to do that. And 
It's like, yeah, like pick up a camera and do it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great, and if anything, just capture the video so that you have something to show to your grandkids, you know, and it's, you know, there's a lot of the experiences. I, I look at all the old timers that I look up to just here, you know, that I grew up with and they have all these stories and stuff, but there's a lot of, they don't have photos. They don't have videos to show for it. Yeah, um, for sure, man. I, I think it's really neat to be able to capture this on video and I can show this to my kids, you know, someday when or even my grandkids like, look at that was me, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's, you make a really good point, man. And you know, on, uh, cause I sell like the Tacticam equipment on our website or whatever, and what, that's one of the things I talk about. Like, I'm not some big YouTuber. I, I don't make videos. I don't know how. I, I've tried. Uh, and one day, maybe I'll make it happen. But uh, I'm I'm kind of in that. I'm 41 years old now. And I'm in that group that you were talking about. The biggest mule deer I've ever shot, I don't even have a picture of it. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so some of, the, some of the bigger bucks I've shot in my life, I, I don't have pictures of it. Uh, and I'm not... it's not about me wanting to share them on like social media so much as it is. It'd be nice to have that memory because like my 10 and 12 year old, my, my two daughters, they, they got their first buck this year and uh, you know, it'd be cool if I could take them down my memory lane and show them, here's my first buck. And here's, Mm -hmm. you know, here's what we did and, and, and kind of just share that moment with them. And so the memories made are memories kept when, when you get it on, on film. And so I think it's that's a super valid point, man. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's definitely exactly what happened here too. I mean, there I have a lot. I mean, a lot of sheds that I I, I love shed hunting a lot. And one of the most exciting things of a shed is like where it lays. You know, like mm-hmm. where a big where you elk find shed. It. Yeah, where you find it. And I used to never take photos of that, and now I do. But it's like some of those big ones. It'd just be sweet to just see that photo. Yeah. Of yeah, like yeah. where he found it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've never been into shed hunting, man. I need to try it out. Yeah, I just, I think we've done the best, of, we've had the best of both worlds. Well, everyone else was like, especially in high school and everyone else was doing football and basketball. Mm-hmm. We were all just full on in the hunting, you know? Like, Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. I literally quit crazy. football season my junior year of high school. My coach was pissed, but I quit because it cut into my mule deer season. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, and he just didn't understand, like I loved playing football, but I loved hunting more. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so I stopped and, and I know I'll probably catch some gruff over that, you know, who quits football, but I did, I, I, I did, especially when I got my driver's license. <laughs> right. So how many brothers and sisters are there? So there's me, my older brother, Travis, and we do most of the filming. Like we just take turns filming. One's the hunter. He films vice versa. Uh, my younger brother, Trevor, then my sister, Tana, who married Adam, who was an Alaskan bush pilot. And so her and Adam live in Alaska. So if you're seeing videos of Idaho and Alaska, we're bouncing back and forth hunting both yeah. states a lot. Um, it, you know, taking advantage of the, the beautiful country or the beautiful state of Alaska. Um, we just got back from Kodiak actually just recently pulled off a few mountain goats, some blacktails and some foxes. So that's going to be a fun episode to share. Dude, I'm jealous. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of figured that's how it came together um, with your sister Tana up there in Alaska. And 
Uh, I've watched some of those videos, and and uh, mostly I've watched your wolf videos, which is going to be kind of the foundational discussion of this episode. Um, and that is where I mean, let's just get right to it, man. You came out with yeah. a wolf hunting class, which is lacking, <laughs> and yeah. um, I want to start this discussion off with talking about why hunting wolves and like how how did you get into it and why why were you interested in hunting wolves and and then you you get proficient at it right and then decide to share this knowledge and this information with other people yeah so i mean it honestly all started i could say it had to be around 2005 or 2006 we had an area that was just like a bomb spot for muleys like we pulled some big muley bucks up there my older brother and I, we would hit it as hard as we could. And, you know, any weekend we had school off, you know, you know, mm-hmm. just we try to get, we, you know, we were those kids that like to take school off to go hunt. And, but this one spot in particular, this was like our muley spot. We pulled big bucks out of here and we'd get on this ridge top, glass is big drop. You know, you have lots of good shooting lanes. We'd usually see, you know, you would honestly, if you spent a full day in there on a good day, you could see close to, um five to ten muley bucks nice you know and this is like yeah. a, i well never mind I, i'm not going to ask you what unit <laughs> i'm just yeah because you're so close to me i'm i, I want to talk about it but yeah wink wink nod nods right yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah um yeah so we were this is the you know an area that i we were just really passionate about hunting but then it's just one day we just noticed something was off we just didn't see a single deer we we're seeing tracks but just nothing and it was just dead all day and it just really bothered us. We're like, what? About what year was that? It was, it was been around 2005, 2006. Okay. It was about that time. So pretty quick, quick turnaround. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And so my brother had the idea. I mean, we're just a bunch of high school kids and we, we were just like, you know what? If I shoot that rock over there, maybe it could flush something out, you know, out of the brush. And so my brother shot and this big black wolf just runs right down the mountain right in front of us and we're looking at this thing at like i mean it's like 400 yards running down the hill and i could see this thing with the naked eye tail and all and i'm like and that is that was the surreal moment of like like the size of a wolf you know what i mean sure i've never seen a dog that big in my entire life and it just barreled down the mountain just deep cliff i mean just ran straight down i was like what is that thing We're, we're like uh you know, like deer, uh, coyote, uh, wolf. <laughs> we, just, we had no clue. There's just a big black wolf just ran straight down. And honestly, that area was never the same. We would go back, go back in that area where we would see five to six bucks every day. You would see a buck like every other time you go in there. And before you know it, that area was just, it just wasn't good anymore. And we'd go in the wintering range, so shed hunt, there was some moose that would winter in there. Mm-hmm. And the wolves were just zigzagging those clear cuts where we used to see moose. We would literally, we counted close, I think it was like 15 or 16 bull moose in that clear cut one winter. You know, that's where they would shed every winter. But the wolves would just zigzag that clear cut and they were just, you know, like once a week they were taking down a moose. But imagine that, like, you know, if you got 15 moose in a clear cut living in there, I mean, that that disappears pretty quick. Oh, man. You got a wolf pack taking one wolf, you know, one moose at a time. Yeah. But before you know it, that area just became a complete dead zone. And so for us, we're pretty adaptable type people. So we would just bump to the next drainage. 
And then we'd be back in elk and mule deer hunting that. And the same thing would happen. All of a sudden, a wolf pack would move in and it didn't take much time. And all of a sudden, it was a dead zone. And it just, it worked almost like a plague. And I'm not meaning to say it like that, but it, I'm not exaggerating. It really was like a plague where yeah. we had areas that just, like you, I won't go back to there to this day. Like I'll still, every so often, it's like, well, this was a good spot one time. Go back there. You might see one or two deer, just nothing. The wolves just run it so hard. And so, um, I think that's really where that that's where everything's just started opening up to us. Like our minds were blown, but the thing was even more weird was people weren't paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a, that's a key point, man. And yeah, like, so the wildlife biologists weren't even studying this area. They were studying the areas down South. We were saying there, we have some problems up here. They didn't believe us. And, and, you know, and it just all of a sudden just disappeared. And then after the fact, they scratched their head and then they started putting collars on some deer and elk up here just to see what's going on. But, um, but the damage was already done. And I, I think it was, it just got to a point where I think we've just had enough, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think we all had to go to this, through this learning curve. 2011, they first opened the wolf season. I was just sure. I'm like, I got to go out there and kill a wolf, you know? And it was one of my favorite spots that I grew up hunting. I went in there, killed a wolf, you know, the first year. And that was back when you can only get like what? One or two tags. You're only allowed two tags. Yeah. I shot one and, and a, and a big black one got away from me. And man, they were just, <laughs> the wolves were just so overpopulated at that time. You would, yeah, every day yeah, yeah. I'd open that pickup door that you'd hear howling you, and you just walk, like if you're a deer elk hunt, you just walk past the howling to go deer and elk hunting. And now I regret doing that. I'm like, man, I should have just been chasing those packs. But I mean, you only have a couple tags. You're sure. You, you know, so you like how really big of an that. impact are you really making? And I guess yeah, that's the one thing I, I like talking about, talking to guys like you that, have seen the evolution of the landscape since wolf reintroduction in, I believe, 1996. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, where, and, and I want to set this up for, for any of the new listeners that ha- haven't heard any of our previous, uh, wolf discussions on this show. Um, what, what we're talking about when, when we're talking about the evolution of this thing and, and what Tom is saying as to what his hunting uh, areas were like prior to the wolves being introduced back onto the land and then uh, how that affected the hunting of ungulate species and all this stuff. We've got lots of episodes dedicated to that exact topic, so go back and listen to them. But basically, the, the wolves were reintroduced in 1996. The state of Idaho had basically set up a... Um, a, a management program that that stated that we can manage for in the in the entire state of Idaho we can manage for three to five hundred wolves. We are north of fifteen hundred wolves to this day, which is three times as many as the maximum amount the uh, Idaho Fishing Game said that the state of Idaho can essentially manage for. This this takes a real toll on our ungulate populations, and in in fact, you know, we're talking about mule deer and what they've done to mule deer. A lot of people think it's a whitetail that have moved in that have devastated our mule deer populations in in the Panhandle of Idaho. It's it's not. It's really not. It's the wolves that have taken the toll on our mule deer. 
because they they love these they love mule deer right and and they're <laughs> let's face it they're a little easier to catch for a wolf than a whitetail. Uh, maybe I'm off base with that. Would you agree with that or disagree, Tom? No, I, I agree, and it's it's a lot of it's in the winter time. So what happens is um, these big newly bucks, you know, they don't pull down off the mountain like an elk and a moose will. Um, yeah, they like to stay up, and they'll find this little pat pocket of timber. And they're sitting ducks up there. When I pick up their sheds, they stand around because they're exhausted. Yep, yep. They're not moving. And 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 I and I'll go up there, and I literally so here's here's another story I got for you. It was I'm trying to get my dates right, but I didn't have this all documented at the time. But it was about 2008. It was one of my shed hunting spots. I'm not even exaggerating when I say this. There's a brush field that had close to 100 muleys. You know, does, mm-hmm. bucks. It was just a very loaded area. It was pretty cool to go out in the spring because everything pulled in that brush field. But it was just muley butts every time I go in there and shed hunt. And and there's just a couple other shed hunters that go in there. But this one year I hit it. It was around 2008. And it wasn't a bad winter. There was just It was just a carcass, like carcasses all over in there. And I was finding them. New ones. Every time I go shed hunting there, I'm like, what is going on? Like, I couldn't figure it out. And and I just saw them like they were just getting just, but you could see the um, the evidence of a canine where the bones would be cracked up and stuff. And, yeah. Um, and, the, you know, be ripped limb to limb. And but some of them are not even be fully, you know, they weren't even fully eaten. Like, there was just muleys that were dead and there would be a leg gone. But there would be the rest of the body. Um and it's just, and then, you know, like then I didn't know what was going on. It's just, I was clueless in why these muleys were getting killed. But then other shed hunters were known this as well as every time a wolf pack would move in their area, that was exactly what was happening too. Because the muleys are literally sitting ducks. These whitetails mm-hmm. and elk, I'm going to say elk and whitetails, they just pull right off the mountain after you get a fair amount of snow. Like they come off the mountain, they head to the valley. Yep. And, and those muleys, they stay in that deep snow. And, and when a wolf pack comes in, I mean, they're, they are sitting ducks and, and they, those wolves won't leave those muleys. They'll just zigzag them and just, and just wipe them out. And, but the thing is the only people that witnessed it, it wasn't wildlife biologists. There wasn't people out there studying them. The only people that were out there were shed hunters like me that were witnessing this. Yeah. But I didn't know how, I mean, I didn't have social media back then. I didn't. I didn't know, like, there's no way to share this information. You know, there was no iPhones to take photos of this stuff. I wouldn't, I never even carried a camera. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so I never got to show the damage that was done back then. You know what I mean? And yeah. And it just, I mean, and it wouldn't, it wasn't like a gradual decline. It was like two years. It was like, there was a hundred muleys in that area. And now there's three. See, like it I've, was, I've heard that a few times where it was like, okay, the wolves were here, but you don't notice anything. And then it was like this sudden shift where it's like the wolf population hit a certain number and all of a sudden it's chaos. Yeah. And it was just, well, and it's not the same, like, um, and so, but a lot of it, I think the biggest problem was we just were not managing, managing them, right? We should have been mm-hmm. managing them back then. And they should have been off the endangered species list, and, but they weren't. It, I mean, you know, you know about it. I won't get into it. <laughs> yeah. The whole fight. But yeah. finally, they're, you know, finally they let us manage them in 2011. And then you got hunters like me, you got trappers, people wanting to get into trapping, but we don't know what the heck we're doing. You know, this was, it was a big, and I mean, a 
big learning curve for all of us. Yep. And I bet honestly, I was hooked to wolf hunt after I shot that first one. It was, it was rather addicting. And, and it was almost like the same feeling, you know, when you call in a bull elk and you call in a bull elk and it's bugling, it was like that with wolves, like calling in wolves. It's, it's adrenaline rush. It is. It's, so, it's super creepy, man. That like, it, it, there's something super eerie about their howl and, and when they come in, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. you, you've got a lot more experience than I do with it, dude. That's why it's so addicting. It's a little, it, I, I'll say it. It's a little high. Like it, yeah, you get a little, for sure. You, it, you don't just get the adrenaline rush, but you get like, it's almost like the, uh, I don't know if it's like skydiving or something, you know, and you, it's like fun, but fear at the same time. That's kind of like what wolf hunting is. There's a little bit of fear involved. And, mm-hmm. but like I said, it was the biggest learning curve, but I, I dedicated a lot of time, especially when we were doing the videos, you know, the great thing with our, with what we did, you know, we were entrepreneurs. So we, um, with building houses, logging, we got this, um, control our own schedule so we just busted our butt all summer long made you know made as much money as we possibly could and we would just take off all three four months out in the fall and just hunt animals you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so so if i if i filled my elk tag or my deer tag early i was wolf hunting and like i said it was the biggest learning curve i spent thousands upon thousands of dollars driving around um i spent like lots of days off work just to learn wolf habits and talking to, you know, a lot of Canadians, they, you know, that have had experience wolf hunting. I'd pull a little bit of information from there, a couple wolf hunters and, you know, in Idaho that would learn a couple tips and I would, you know, you, you learn from a couple other people, but at the same time you have, there was a lot that I had to learn on my own. And I'd say it was about 2014, 2015. I was actually catching on to it where all of a sudden it was just like clockwork where every time I was getting in the wolves, I knew how to find him and I knew how to kill him. And, and then all of a sudden it's just like, all right, I got a rhythm going here. And, and that's where it really started taking off and, and just learning and understanding how these canines really work. And yeah, I'm starting to see areas rebound, which is an amazing thing Me to too. say. Like, Me too. that's great. And, so and, like and last- it's not, it's not because of what I'm doing, man. It's because of people like you and in our trappers out there that are doing that, um, yeah, you, you know, you got, you got like Justin Webb and Jacob Denham out there just, just smoking wolves left and right. And, and you're out there and, uh, well, we're going to get to this. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to get too far into this, but it is, it is super interesting when I talk to people that have been here for a long time and seen this evolutionary process and the way you guys interpret the changes over the years, because it's so noticeable for, for a guy like me who I've spent, I've spent half my life growing up in, uh, you, you know, the state of Utah, a different Western state where there, there really wasn't a predator problem at all, uh, versus the other half of my life spent in, in the state of Idaho, um, and, and to see, you know, evolutionary-wise, what has changed on the landscape, how the elk behave, how the deer behave, and and how they move and how they they vocalize, I, in my opinion, is is a little different. Um, the elk aren't, uh, in my opinion, they're just not quite as rowdy as they were 15 years ago. Um, they're still rowdy, so I, I don't want anybody to take me wrong. Uh, you can still call in elk, <laughs> but. It just there's there's differences and I, I I talk to guys like you and and like uh you know my my buddy Dirk um the WD bugler Durham you know 
uh, he grew up in in kind of this North Idaho area as well, and and kind of his perspective as to how the landscape changed, and and to see how all this kind of comes together to where we're at now today in the year 2021, um, it's interesting, man. It's interesting how many people have been asleep at the wheel too. Yeah, and I, the people that are asleep at the wheel are the ones I mean that honestly don't really put in the time in the mountains. Like there's a lot of and, you know, these are good people, like the people that hunt in the valley, they'll hunt whitetails down here in the, you know, in the valley close to houses and stuff. Yeah. They don't yeah. see the wolf problems that there's always those local deer and elk that don't go back up the mountains. And so that, those are the ones they typically hunt. Well, they'll always yeah. say, I, I don't see a wolf problem. You know, it's like, well, you got to go up in the mountains to see, you know what I mean? You can't like down here, you're not going to see it. No. You're going to see it up in the mountains. And, you know, for us, you know, you probably remember some of the stock and road videos. We used to take horses and mules in the back country. Mm-hmm. The farther you got away from people, the more wildlife you see. It's mm-hmm. actually kind of changed now. Now it's the opposite where we're finding most of the wildlife actually closer to human activity because they feel safer. And you'll actually notice this also in some of these national parks where there's wolves. Same ordeal. The thing is the animals don't get shot. So you got these, <laughs> yeah. you got all the animals are <laughs> hugging the highways. Like if you're like, I love Canada and I'll drive up there and stuff. And there's this, uh, I don't know if you've ever been up the ba- uh, Jasper or Banff uh-uh, up there. No. It's really pretty up there, but there, <laughs> I've watched some wolves do some crazy stuff up there. Um, I watched a wolf pack completely keep, there's a, a bunch of shed out bull elk just chilling in the river and the wolf pack wouldn't let them leave the river. And oh, they wow. were just, and they just sat there and waited for them. And the elk were just going to, they were just going to stand in the river and just. <laughs> Indefinitely. <laughs> the, wolves, yeah. the wolves were just going to wait them out. And the other, the other thing I saw was a mule or a, a mule deer wolf was dragging across the ice. That was pretty interesting. But a lot of those elk are hugged to the highway. They're, they're sitting right there and they don't want to go out there. And you'll, if you go a little bit, you know, past off the beaten path, all of a sudden you'll see these wolves just circling. Um, they're, it's, it's pretty eerie. Cause I mean, they're not being managed out there. You know what I mean? It's a national sure. park sure. So they're, or not. Yeah. It's a, it's a park. So they're not shooting those wolves or anything. And those animals are just, you know, fighting for their life and living in the city. And, you know, they're always trying to push them out of the city, you know, the, the yeah. herds of elk yep. and stuff. Yep. And, but I mean, that's the same thing we're seeing here now. We're seeing the same thing here mm-hmm. where, where you're not seeing the animals in the back country. My brother and I packed in this year, 13 miles and we saw a tiny little herd of elk. And it's like, we're chasing a 280 class bull elk back there. It's like, what are we doing? Like this far back, chasing a 280 class bull elk. Like this is not, you know, it's just the one they little herd. Bigger. And, yeah. And, it, and vice versa. Like in July, you're seeing elk on the agricultural in- interface, uh, you know, down here in the valleys, when they should be back in the backcountry at that point, and they don't. They don't leave anymore. Uh, a lot yeah. of them just stay in these farmer's fields, hassle them all year, because they know that there's there, there's no wolves. Um, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of a lose-lose situation, because then mm-hmm. now the farmers get issues, and then now they hand depredation tags. So now, exactly. So then, the I mean, they all have nowhere to go. You know, they're, yep. they're sitting ducks, and unfortunately. Um, but... But yeah, there's some areas where the trappers and, and hunters are just doing so well that like 
I'm seeing mealies coming back. I'm seeing elk coming back. I actually killed my biggest bull elk this year um, in in an area. Actually, believe it or not, I remember I was telling you about that uh, wolf in 2000. Was it 2006 ish around? Yeah, that where time. you saw the black wolf. Yeah, that was yeah, black yeah. Wolf. yeah, yeah. I killed my I killed my biggest uh, bull elk in there this year, and so that area is starting to come back. I've I've noticed so it on a, a, a I guess a super broad level where I, I guess you know and and this is coming from a guy who's never shot a wolf so uh, mm. I've tried I've tried and and I feel like you're gonna help me get there because <laughs> yeah. you got you got something coming down the pike here so um, mm. we're gonna talk about that but um, I I've noticed that too the the work that the hunters and trappers are putting into it is is paying dividends and and what I mean by that is uh, I'm I, I'm having more elk encounters the last two years than I have previously. Uh, I'm I'm seeing more mule deer like you are. I'm seeing mm-hmm. mule deer in places I've never seen mule deer before. However, yeah, but- th- we're not there yet. We're not back to what it used to be, and we're not. I, I, in my opinion, we're we're still not where we need to be in terms of a balanced, you know, ecological system or whatever. I wh- I'm not a scientist, uh, but. But there still needs to be this balance, and we're getting close, but it, we're not quite there yet. No, and we're not. We're getting to the point where we're getting people that are more interested. They're they're seeing the problem. They're seeing the uh, effects, the negative impacts of of wolves, and 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 nobody on my show, you know, that I've had on, I've had people from Dr. Valerius Geist to um, other other biologists and and lifetime, you know, the, these wildlife scientists that that know this information a lot better than I do. I've had these people on the show, and we've talked about this, um, and and they're in agreement that things have gotten a little bit out of control with these predators. I I, I think I kind of got sidetracked there. Uh, <laughs> the point is, is people are actually noticing that these these wolves are um, where nobody sees the reality of having them fully eliminated because it's just not reality. The whole shoot, shovel, shut up thing and eliminating wolves 100% off the landscape, it's just not reality. So we need to get past that and move on and figure out the appropriate management tool, which is hunting and trapping. And it's it's starting to become effective, but there's a lot of hunters that go out and they try and it's frustrating. They don't see anything. They don't hear anything. And they're frustrated, which leads me to you, Tom. Mm-hmm. You've developed this process. You've developed a, a way to achieve hunting success on these. In in my opinion, uh, I, I I think that wolves on on in the lower 48 are probably the most difficult and the most cunning animal that we can hunt. I, I will say they are the most intelligent animal you'll ever hunt. I don't care. There's nobody that can argue that. Yeah. If if, if somebody thinks there's another animal out there that's easy, that's harder to hunt. That you're you have to hunt a wolf to really figure that because it it is they are the most intelligent they're one of those animals they're always a step ahead of you yeah and yeah and so and so my techniques that i've learned is how to get one step ahead of them catching them off guard you know like have you ever seen a dog that's confused and concerned when it turns its head it's like huh? you know <laughs> yeah i that's the look I get when a wolf pack comes in at me. They're just like, wait. Wait, what? What? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> That's the look I want. And, and the That's... numbers. Oh, go ahead. I cut you off there. Sorry, man. No, no, you, you go. Uh, the, the numbers the numbers prove what we're talking about. 
there's a less than 1% success ratio when it comes to wolf hunting. Wolf yeah. trapping has a, has a higher percentage ratio. But, but I, wanna, I want people to look at it from this perspective. On this show, we talk a lot about elk hunting in September. September elk hunting, archery elk hunting, is is going to equate to about a 7 to 10% success rate, right? And what's funny is if you take that number, it's like the 1% of that 10% success rate are the same people every year uh, notching tags, right? So it's even lower than that if you think about it. So when when you look at it from that standard and there's all these elk being killed that way, but it's still proportionally very low as to the number of people that are out there trying to do it, wolf hunting is like times almost 10 in terms yeah. of low success rates. And that's what I'm hoping the course that you are about to talk about um, it, it could could possibly change those numbers for for a lot of us out there that don't like for me. Um, I'd love to trap wolves because I know it's a higher uh, success rate, right? But I don't have the time, man. I can't go check traps every every you know 72 hours. I can't. I don't even have a snowmobile, um, which I'd get one. But again, I don't have time to go out and check check a trap line all the time. I don't have the resources. I don't know. I don't have the know how, um, and so. Coming from a guy who grew up, you know, part of the way I paid my way through high high school was killing coyotes, and I'd call coyotes in, and and I'd kill them, and I'd I'd take them in for a bounty, and I, that would be, that would be my gas money for like a month, and the farmers would also uh, pitch in and, and pay me um, to to get rid of the coyotes on on some of their land, but that I, I what I've realized is the way I hunted coyotes does not translate to successful wolf hunting, and so. Where does a guy in, in like in my circumstance, how how do we get better? And um, let's talk about your course, man, and how this is going to change the uh, the course of wolf hunting. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I um so I created this course right when I you know there came to a point where I was like I I know what I'm doing now. You know, like I even for sure. And I, and this is actually pretty neat. I put this one in the course, this video I haven't launched on YouTube yet, but I, and I decided I'm going to do a wolf course. I, I, people need to get out there. The thing is people were um, asking the wrong questions. People, they saw that I was killing wolves. They were asking the wrong questions. What can, calls can you, are you elaborate using? on that? Can, well, like what were the wrong questions they were asking? What call did you use? I want to use that call. That call doesn't work in, you don't just use that call with any wolf. It has to be the specific scenario you're in. You know, wolves are a very intelligent animal and it has to make sense to them and why they're going to come in. You know what I mean? And I'll just use the example yeah. of a wolf pup in distress call. Everybody's like, oh, you killed that wolf pup in distress? I'm just going to run up in the mountains and just run that wolf pup in distress call that I got on my Fox Pro. It's not going to work like that. It's not going to make sense to the wolf pack. Okay, you like, just said something. What, does a Fox Pro even work on wolves? It can. It can. Okay. Okay. It, yeah, it can. But just curious. Sorry, I got yeah. you off. I, I got you off topic there, man. But, but this is the thing with wolves and electronic calls is after they 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 remember recordings, and so if you have the same recording on the same pack and you're trying a second attempt, they won't come back to it again. And so okay. wolves are that they're, they figure that out really quick. And so, um, 
So usually after a couple of attempts on a wolf pack, I have to start moving to mouth calls and, and hunting them. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different calls in, that I use. And, and I actually, in the course, I go through the several different techniques and, and scenarios of like, this is the time I'll use this call if this happens. I'll use this call if that happens. You know, I share, I share pretty much the kind of the, uh, I'll say the secret formula and how I would prefer the whole scenario to go down if I locate a wolf pack and I kill them. Um, I also even just talk about how to find wolves in general. That's actually the hardest part in wolf hunting is just finding the pack. For sure, man. That, that's And that's a huge topic with any type of hunting. That's I think that for me, what, what I do, that's the biggest question I get. How do I find elk? How do I find deer? How do I find a whitetail? How do I find mule deer? Uh, even coyotes. Um, coyotes are super easy to find, by the way, folks. Um, but wolves, I can't answer that question. And that's what's in your course, right? Yes. That's, I teach you how to do that in the winter time. I teach you how to do that in the spring, the summer, the early fall, all the way to the winter. I teach you how to do it throughout the entire year and, and how to find them mm-hmm. and how I would hunt them based on the things I see. I teach you how to be observant, what to see, what to expect. When we're, when is it a waste of time? You know, if you see a single wolf track, is it a waste of time to try to pursue that wolf track or is it productive? It depends on what that wolf is doing. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different scenarios that go on. And, and that's the thing I just realized was people were just aimlessly going up in the mountains and wising up wolves and it was actually in a sense doing more harm than good mm-hmm. and and so for me i want effective wolf hunters out in the woods with me i don't want i don't like i i'll share the woods with everybody i i want these wolves managed just like everybody else but when someone doesn't know what they're doing and like i said you know they use a oh i'm just going to use this call because he used that call when he killed wolves and they don't use it in the right scenario that wolf pack's wised up. I won't have a chance to call that wolf anymore. You won't have a chance to call that wolf anymore. Now the only way to do it is get lucky and trap him, you know? Okay, that's um, that's a great point, Tom. Um, and, and the reason I, I talk about that is uh, I, I don't know how familiar you, you are with, with my show, but we do this School of September series, right? And, and it's all about elk hunting and whatnot. And, and one of the most effective things that I ask people is what are some of the biggest mistakes people do – that mess up their elk hunt. And that translate and, and I think that what that does is that makes the discussion go in a direction that people um, wouldn't normally go in because we're trying to talk about, okay, you want to go out and you want to find elk, you want to bugle like this, you want to go to this area, blah, blah, blah. But when you're talking about mistakes that are made, that opens some new doors and, and, and helps some light bulbs go off. And so when when I told you like I can take a coyote call I can I, I could take some kind of you know I don't care if it's a rabbit in distress what whatever I can go out where I know coyotes are and I can always call those in right um, and I have a ball doing it that is what people have been trying including me I've done I, I'm guilty of this in fact the only wolf response I ever got was when I was elk hunting and I used a cow call once and they howled at me but um, I've never successfully called a wolf in and that, that would be my, I guess, 
dumb assumption because I, I'm not experienced with wolf hunting. I, I don't know how to, I don't know what kind of calls to use is I would think that I'll go get in the pickup truck and I'll go find a place where I think there's going to be some wolves or I've seen wolves or sign or whatever and try to call them in with whatever generic call I might have. Mm-hmm. How How is that? Can you expand on what you were talking about, uh, you know, in terms of using these calls and knowing what to what types of calls to use in the right types of scenarios? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's shoot. Like, it's, it's just like, you have to think of what the wolf is, what's the wolf doing right now? Is he, is the pack together? Are they just hanging out during the day? Are they currently hunting? And so you have to think of what scenarios, like what's going to bring that wolf pack in. And, and so you're probably as a coyote hunter and other coyote hunters, I mean, there's calls that wolves will, they will respond to those, but it has to make sense, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and and I guess the best example is like I, I said that, the wolf pup in the stress. If there's a wolf pack together and they start hearing a random wolf pup, they're like, uh, that doesn't make sense. Where not our you? kid, not our problem. That's that's <laughs> not our kid. First of all, it's not our kid. And we're the only wolf pack in this territory. Yeah. So let's, why would I come in? <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. And so that's one of the examples like I use it. And, and it's a, I like using that call, but it has to be in a particular scenario. And, and so that's, so that's one of the things I explain when they use that call. I, you know, I use, you know, uh, when it comes to using howls, different vocals, wolves have a large range of vocals from barkings to yips to howling. What do those all mean? Also read understanding what the wolves are saying. So if you hear a wolf pack howling, understanding what that howl means, like, okay. are they like, do they know you're there? Sometimes if they know you're there and they're trying to get out of the country, there's certain howls they do that are pretty much warning the pack. There's other howls that are trying, if they think you're another wolf trying to take over their territory, there's certain howls they do and trying to chase you out. There's a lot of different vocals they use. And the thing is, when I first got into this, there's no information on this. Hardly right? Any exactly, man. I, I, I scoured the internet for this kind of info. I thought, you know, these there's got to be some dudes up in Alaska that are really good at calling in wolves, you know, and put it on the internet or something. Yeah, yeah no, it, there there wasn't. And so that's why I was stoked when I saw your post that uh, you, you've got this course. First of all, what is the name of your course? Wolf, it's the Wolf Hunting Masterclass. I try to make it as simple as possible so people can find it. Okay, Wolf, wolf. Hunting Wolf Hunting Masterclass, and where can people find or where can people find it? wolfhuntingmasterclass.com okay yeah so we've got that and guys i'm going to put that in the show notes by the way um and so that is that's where we i I wanted to start foundationally what we're talking about guys is the stuck in the rut uh wolf hunting masterclass by tom schneider and I was super pumped when I saw uh, you posted. In fact, you posted it on one of the Facebook groups that I, I uh, am that, you know, I, I made or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that and I was like, man, you got to be kidding me. I've been waiting for this like my my whole adult life. <laughs> and so um, that's what we're kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of, guys. Uh, the calls are going back to something you said, the vocalizations and like what one howl sounds like versus what another howl sounds like. 
you know, he's warning the pack that there's danger versus he's trying to scare another wolf or an intruder into his territory off. Is are those like are there examples in your course as to what those sound like or, or how people can learn how to identify that? Yeah, I, I show I show actually howls that I've experienced and I and I actually share the exact vocals so that you can hear it and understand what that means, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, I share those examples and so that you know. And sometimes they're just howling with each other too. I've I've had it where the alpha male is a, is a very man. The the dynamic of a pack is actually pretty incredible, but he pretty much controls the hell frenzy and he can shut it off with a bark. <laughs> so he'll just, he'll just kind of yip or bark or whatever. And it shuts the yeah. entire pack down. Mm-hmm. And I've even heard it where if a young one's still howling and he, he didn't listen, all of a sudden you'll hear that young one start yipping right after <laughs> he gets, he gets a little, uh, like he's he back talking kind of thing. Well, you know, he's just howling and the alpha male's like, shut up, like, you know, told the pack to shut up. And he's, you know, the young one didn't really get the message. He's still howling, thinking the frenzy's still going on. All of a sudden, you'll just start hearing that young one just start, ah, ah, just, where, oh. the, where the alpha male will, like, you know, nip at him and tell him to shut up. Like, Can I can I ask you something on that? Yeah. Okay. It, it, and this is just kind of scenario-driven, man. Um, right. And, again, coming from some somebody who doesn't know shit about shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, was, I was elk hunting. And I let off some cow calls, and in front of me, approximately 80 to 100 yards, uh, these two wolves that were kind of, they were probably 30 yards apart, mm-hmm. do these weird, creepy-sounding howls back to me. And and they, mm. they're they like, it's like they're talking to, in, in the way I perceived it, and this is what I want to ask you, is is how off and how terrible is my perception. But my, my perception was, is... Like the one was telling the other one, did you hear that? And the other one's like, yeah, I heard it. Let's go. And then 10 seconds later, this older, further, you could just, you know how when you've been in the woods long enough, you could just tell the sound of an animal is more mature than another, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you just kind of can, I don't know how to explain that. I could just tell this other one was more mature, let off this really weird, it wasn't a howl, it was like a moan. Mm-hmm. And it was like dark timber, and it was just real. It was real, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up when this happened. But oh, yeah. I was still super excited about hearing the first two. Um, I had my bow, and I had uh, I had my 45 ACP. I was gonna lace some wolves, man. Uh, it was mm-hmm. it was like 2013, 2014, and I had a wolf tag in my pocket, so I was all excited. Well, when that that older, wiser one kind of did that that moany sound. They disappeared like uh, aliens came down and abducted them off the face of the earth. No idea where yeah. they went. Can yeah. you can you like interpret that for me and and tell me what I heard or or, or I don't know how to even ask that question. Did he, did they <laughs> did they win you at all? Perhaps maybe or maybe not. No, they di- they did not win me. I was it, it was right. it was kind of midday. Thermals were going up and I was above them. Usually, so usually that this happened to us actually quite a bit a lot of different scenarios where the alpha male will moan or will do that howl and he calls the pack back together. It, but usually he does that when he knows something's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, that actually, so 2011, I'll go back then there was a, I shot that one and you know, this is when I was still getting in the learning curve the following day, 
my sister set up and we have this young one, like we're, we're howling it in and it's coming in fast, like young one howling. And it's just getting closer and closer and closer. Just like a bull elk is coming in. Tana's just, my sister's just shaking. She's like, Oh my gosh, like this is happening. Also in that same moan you're talking about, he uh-huh. howled way back there, called it back. Oh really? And yeah. And it's just like, it was almost just like he recognized that call from the day before we used, it was the same electronic wolf howl. And so, and that, like, that right, wise old bugger knew it was new. Yeah. And so we called them back and they all just swarmed back up and, and never, I mean, he was within, it was getting close. Like, you know what I mean? Like uh-huh, he was right uh-huh. there and the wind was good. And that alpha male, he was probably about four or 500 yards back. He did a big old howl called the pack back. And sometimes and it could have been, maybe, maybe he recognized your cow elk read, you know, like where he's just like, Hey, like, is there other elk hunters in the area, perhaps using the same Primo's read or what have yeah, you? Yeah, it probably was back in the day. I think it was a Rocky Mountain elk or a Rocky Mountain hunting call call. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the one of the real trendy ones from back then. Mm-hmm. Um, long before, audience, be advised, long before I became a dedicated diehard Phelps Game Calls fan. Yeah. So I, I got to throw that in there, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so but, I mean, it very well. It just maybe they've already dealt with a couple other archery hunters where they accidentally came in onto some other archery hunters while they're elk hunting. And so, and do they, you just put the call together? Do you think that like the wise, the wise older wolf has got enough experience that he's like recognizing that what you're talking about? Okay, I heard that kind of read, you know, a couple of days before or whatever. And the young ones just don't have that experience, so they're not putting it together and they're just getting overly excited. Yeah, exactly. So, um, tell us a little bit about for the folks listening to this podcast. Um, what are they going to get out of this course? Because I I want I don't want to call it the elevator pitch or a sales pitch or anything like that, but I I do want you to qualify it because it's kind of an expensive course, right? It is, and yeah. and and that's okay. That's okay if I think people have you know, the, the value, they, they have this perceived value they're going to get out of it. Can you kind of talk about what you would expect somebody that, that goes through this course to be able to go out in the woods and do? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, one really good wolf hunter is going to be better than 10 amateurs. Like, totally he's agree. Going, he's going to do way, he's going to be way better. I, I mean, you look at it with trappers and, and hunters. Like yep. for me, like I'm the exception, right? I can pull out several wolves every single year. You got the other guy who's the 1%. He can't get it done. But to me, who's going to make that, who's going to make that really good hunter? Someone who's dedicated enough, who's going to invest their money and their time into the course. If, you know, I think it comes to a point where I had to, I had to talk to other wolf hunters and trappers, ask them, like, I showed them what course I got going on. And I'm like, what do you value this course at? You know, and Mm -hmm. I put in, I've already put in thousands and thousands of dollars in fuel and time taken off work and putting this course together. Not just that, but putting in my time in wolf hunting. I'm actually saving people a lot of money. It just, all that information is a lot of time and money saved in the long run. And one wolf will pay for the course if you kill one wolf. And so it just depends how, like for me, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for elite hunters in some way if that makes sense tom uh tom you cut out there i i think i don't think it cut out on the recording because it was showing 
fine on my uh, program here, but I, I okay. miss what you said there. You you one wolf is going to pay for the basically like the tuition or whatever. And and you're you're talking about and this is kind of where you cut out. That are are you talking about like the the reimbursement from Foundation for Wildlife Management kind of thing? It, yeah, that or if you get a good wolf, I mean, I I sell my skulls between a hundred to two hundred dollars for a good wolf. Oh skull. wow, I didn't yeah. know the skulls were worth that much. I knew like the hides are, are pricey. Yeah, I didn't know the skulls were that much either. But I keep on getting people messaging me. I want a skull. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And even the taxidermists, and, and the taxidermists, they have their own, you know, business, and they want to make a little extra money too. So, you know, they'll take it for about fifty bucks or so. But you got that, and then you got the fur. If you got a good fur, that pays for the course, right there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's uh, to me, if you're not willing to do the course, you're not confident enough that you can take down a wolf. Um, but I mean, for me, I that's kind of what I'm looking for. For me, it's not. Even if I don't get rich on this course, that's not my goal here. I want to, I want to create good wolf hunters, ones that are not, like I said, not going to neglect the information I'm giving them. Mm-hmm. This is going to give you a strong foundation. You're going to like all this information is is a decade worth of knowledge that I have received wolf hunting, and it's going to, you're going to, honestly, it's going to create a good foundation for you. Well, here we are, and it's already almost Christmas time, and you might be buying for that hunter in your life, or you're buying for yourself. Let's start with the westernhuntsman.com. If you go there and check out the gear tab, we've got all the Tacticam equipment, so if you know or you are interested in filming your hunt, jump on the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear and check out the Tacticam products from the cameras to the reveal cell cams to everything else and all the attachments. It's all there. You can also check out the merchandise tab and get you a cool t-shirt or a coffee mug or something like that. And when you do make a purchase on the westernhuntsman.com, a portion of that proceed goes towards the fight against anti-hunters. Moving on, I want to talk to you about Scree gear. Scree is extreme mountain gear built for the wild. It's a great company with great gear that's not going to break the bank. Some of my favorite Scree items are the Hard Scrabble pants. The Hard Scrabble vest is super versatile. Get your complete layering system to the Kodiak pants, and I love the Bridger glassing mitt, so keep your hands warm when you're out there glassing the mountain, doing your thing. So check it out at ScreeGear.com, and don't forget to use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Man, that's a great deal. Check it out, ScreeGear.com. Let's talk about Phelps Game Calls, the oldest sponsor on the Western Huntsman podcast. Phelps Game Calls has a full lineup of elk calls, predator calls, deer calls, duck calls, anything you need call-wise. Check it out at PhelpsGameCalls.com. Phelps is a true American story built from the blood and sweat and tears of Jason Phelps himself from his garage to what it is now one of the premier call companies out there on the market. I love these guys. It's a great company, great products, all backed by great warranties. Check it out at phelpsgamecalls.com and don't forget to use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Last but not least, check out Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots are my go-to boot. They have been for many, many years. Uh, I love this company. They are built right here in North Idaho. And if you are in the market for a new set of mountain boots, hunting boots, 
uh, you need to check them out. I love my Explorers. You can get the Explorers in the 8-inch, the 6-inch. You can get the Summits. That's another great boot. Personally, I haven't tried them, but I, I can attest that if they're anything as good as the Explorers, you will not be disappointed. So go to hoppinboots.com and check it out. Use promo code all caps lock, by the way, Huntsman10. Huntsman10 for 10% off on your next Hoffman Boots purchase. Guys, that's it for sponsors. I sure appreciate you guys tuning into the show. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and leave us a review if you wouldn't mind. It goes a long way to help the show. Let's get back into it. Here we go. Let's be honest, Tom. That's what we're lacking, man. And and I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is an important point. This is what we are lacking in Idaho and Montana and Wyoming, you, you know, um, and soon to be Colorado when after your 10-year, decade-long uh, struggle in the courts and finally the wolves are going to be allowed to be, you know, you're going to be able to get tags for them. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get on the you know politics side of things but right. this is what we're lacking a foundational thing if if you look at alaska they've always been able to hunt and trap wolves so so these these folks had this foundational understanding just like it, as an idaho and i'm i'm, I'm going to use idaho as, as an example here because that's where you and i live as an as a foundational thing we understand how to basically pursue elk right mm-hmm. Exactly. Nobody's ever taught us. We we didn't grow up hunting wolves, you and I. Yeah. Uh, nobody's ever taught us this. We didn't have these foundational practices that, that that are the things that if somebody were to come up to you and you're you're like this prolific elk hunter in the state of Idaho and and they're going to come up to you and be like, "Hey, I just uh, you know, moved here from, you know, I don't know, somewhere in New York and I don't know anything about elk, but I want to go hunt elk." The foundational things are the things that you wouldn't think to tell this individual to be successful in the woods. And and mm-hmm. that's what you're getting at with this course is is you're going to provide these foundational skills and knowledge set that, that people have never been taught. And what we do, like I stopped hunting wolves a couple of years ago because I felt like I was, I was doing more damage than I was good. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to change that because I'm a dedicated, I'd be a dedicated wolf hunter, man. But I, oh, yeah. I just haven't had the skill set and the knowledge or, or even everybody that I know that kills wolves are trappers. And and God bless them. I, for me, I, I, I don't have the time or necessarily the, um, the want or desire to be a trapper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, there's another – oh, yeah. Go Sorry. ahead. Go ahead. I cut you, I cut you off. I was saying, no, you're fine. I'm offended, by the way. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, so there's also another thing to, to take into consideration that not all trappers can get to where a hunter hunts wolves. True. And, and so there is, I, I myself, and it's probably because I live here, there's places where trappers are like, I can't get up there. Can yeah. you go up there? And, and, you know, I have to sometimes just work with the trappers in some way because I'm myself, I, I, I know where these trappers are. I'm not going to invade their space. I'm going to let them do their thing. Yeah. But there's, but these wolves will sometimes hit the higher elevation. All of a sudden, like I said, they'll go up to the muley elevation. There's no trappers up high. You know, a lot of trappers are, they're close to road systems, trail systems where they can get their machines to. They're not packing traps in the back country. You know what I mean? So, exactly. uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for wolf hunters 
to get back there and to manage. Then, especially, let's talk about like even early fall, like August and September. There's no wolf trappers in backcountry. Nope. And and those they're by the time the trapping season starts, the wolves have already done a lot of damage throughout the year. And so that time of the year is a really good time to kill wolves. Get you know, knock them down before they really start hammering the elk during the rut. Yeah. And and I mean it's and I had the same scenario with you, except it, it worked out for me where I, I actually stuck three wolves with a bow. And oh, where really? I was, yeah, yeah. It, oh man, that, see, I would love that. It, it and I hey, it's awesome because they don't hear the sound of the bow, and wolves are like a, you know, they're an apex predator, mm-hmm. and although they can be real, really uh, skittish of people at the same time, it's not like a white tail where they're always picking up their head, expecting danger. They know they're on the top of the food chain, so when they come in, they're there to kill. And when you start killing wolves with a bow, they don't really figure it out yet. <laughs> so I just, so when they came in, I just kept on pulling back, sticking up, you know, stuck a wolf, another one come out, like, what's wrong with you, buddy? Stick another one in it. And before not, I had three arrows and three wolves. It was pretty Fantastic, wild. man. Do you have a video yeah. of that? I have the aftermath, unfortunately. Oh, just the after. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious because yeah. I, 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 you know, I'd geek out on something like that, but, um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about when, uh, or well, let's go back to this before we go to the next subject. Is is um, can you talk about like what the big mistakes are that that people that don't know much about wolves or hunting wolves, outside of just using whatever gen- generic call they 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 think is a good idea at the time? Are there other big time mistakes that people are making when they're hunting? Yeah, so you have to realize that wolves figure things out really quick and. Um, and I'll use the example of vehicles. There's a time and place to use a vehicle, right? I mean, uh, it could be a four wheeler, uh, anything to go up into the wolf elevation. But if you drive up park and you howl off the ridge and there's a wolf pack right there, I mean, they eventually put that two and two together. It's not like an elk, you know, I used to do that in the St. Joe area. I used to run the roads and throw a bugle and elk yeah. would answer me back yeah, yeah. and, and that's not how wolves work a lot of cases. It, it works sometimes because the wolves will be across the draw. But you have to, you know, sometimes you have to, to simply, like, think of, you know, if there's a, a drain that you're going to howl into, park the pickup, a, you know, a couple hundred yards back and then walk around the corner and throw a howl, you know, mm, to locate. Good point. Yeah. And then you get guys that get howling and they try to call them in right to the vehicle. What are you doing? Yeah, man, that drives me crazy during elk season. Like, I I am not opposed <laughs> to parking the truck on the road and standing in the middle of the road and letting off a bugle to locate an elk. But yeah. if you locate one, it's time to move, not think that the damn elk is going to come right to the road and sit in your truck and let you shoot him. It, yeah. it Stuff drives me crazy. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other uh, soapbox yeah. I don't want to get on right now. <laughs> Right. And, and, and I apologize too, because sometimes I'll get in a rant and no, 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 that's, it's good. It's good for you. You're the guest. You can get in rants. Uh, I'm the host. I, I need to, I need to stop getting on rants. <laughs> You're good. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that's a thing. So another, so this is another thing. This is actually one of the biggest mistakes people make shooting. You know how many people miss wolves? Uh, probably a lot. Yes. They just, you know, your gun. 
feel good with your gun. Can you freehand your gun at 50 yards? Practice a little bit with that. The other thing with wolves, so like if a deer and elk come in, they'll stop. Like let's say you cow call an elk to stop it, right? Yep. Pull back your bow. Bull walks in, stops, gives you a broadside shot. Yep. Deer, Matt, Matt, shoot it. Wolves have the ability to see what you are at a trot and then run back in the brush. They don't have to stop to see what you are. They can they can analyze you on the While trot. While moving. Oh, okay. So so that's something I didn't know. Yeah. Do you so stop they, them somehow? I do the best I can, but if they don't, I I can still I have. The gun, and I do go in detail on the, the reason why I built my gun the way I did. I eventually had to build an actual wolf gun custom to what I do um, because I was making a lot of mistakes. With ju- it was just because of the type of gun I had. Sure. I mean, I was good with freehanding it, but it was it was like a it was a long range rifle. But then when you get in those close range shots, and you got you know it's a higher powered scope, so you got that five and a half by um by 20 power five yeah, and a half yeah. is hard to lead a wolf at, in five yards if he's running past you at five yards it's hard to lead one but you know so i've had to really custom a gun to where i can shoot long range close range you know just and you know just like it just feels is, right and i practice with it is the customization of the rifle that you you you're using for wolf hunting is that in the course I do actually talk about that. Yes. Okay, cool. Cool. In detail. And I, I mean, it's, and I could even talk a little bit about it here. It, I mean, it's just, I obviously yeah, it, I, I do everything in the course. Um, but the thing is the other thing too, is for me is everybody's all set up on the automatic gun and people ask me, why are you still shooting a bolt action? You know, isn't that, and, and, and so people think it's just a, you're just spraying bullets when the wolves come in. Mm-hmm. You're not doing that. You want to make every shot count. So, I mean, guys get the wolves come in and they just spray bullets and wolves run off and there's nothing dead. Oh. You, that, and then that do? wolf is educated. They're educated. They're not ever going to come into a call again. So for me, I'm about making every shot count. Now, and, and maybe it's just my years of experience, but I'm pretty fast with the bolt action. Um, the yeah, last I know. Day, like, like I, dude, I shot a, uh, before we started recording today. I don't even know. I'll I'll just admit it right on the on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sh- I shot a, <laughs> a, sh- a snowshoe hare with my bolt action. Oh, snap. It, took- <laughs> it was fun, man. It was super fun. The thing was hauling ass, and I got him. Anyway, um, uh, so so me and uh, me and the kiddos we're gonna cook up some uh, snowshoe hare stew here in the next couple of days. But um, man, that just kind of got me off. Oh. I do want to talk about that. You said I the the hard thing with me in in this kind of scenario when I get somebody like you on that has a has a a course and you're charging money for it is is I I don't know where the line is. I don't want to like step on your toes in terms of trying to get too much information mm-hmm. uh, because it's all going to be in the course, right? right. Um, but I, I still want to get like let's talk about the 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 weapon you're using, the rifle you're using. Yeah, that's that's fine. Okay, so cool. I. I I chose, and, and, you know, there's a lot of different types of calibers out there, but I just learned that, I don't know, it's pros and cons. You can kill a, a wolf with a 6.5 Creedmoor, but I've watched him walk away with a 338 Ultramag bullet too. Yeah. And so it, it obviously has to do with shot placement. 
um, for me, it was more about, I noticed that I was shooting a muzzle break and it was just scattering the wolves. And so the one thing that I analyzed was I remembered the time when I had my bow was I spraying bullets with an automatic no. And I've been, I was more effective at shooting those wolves with a bow and arrow than I was with any other gun I've ever shot. Cause you got three of them with your bow, right? At the yeah, same stuck, time? Yeah. Stuck for three and less than, less or than not, not at the same time, but all, all, you know, right there, three different arrows, three different wolves. Just, it was as soon as one arrow left the, yeah, as soon as one arrow left the bow, I pulled, you know, another arrow was out of the quiver and I pretty much emptied my whole quiver of arrows on a wolf. Pack. God, man, that is some Comanche shit, man. I wish you would have gotten that on video. That's awesome. Oh, tell me about it. So now I keep my GoPro on my head. It was in my pouch and well, actually, okay, I'll go in a little bit more on the story on that. So I was elk <laughs> similar story. I was Calcon and it was in an area that I really, you know, I, I've seen big bulls. I actually had a, just a, caught that's just, just a giant last year the or the year prior to this experience uh-huh. so i was in there specifically after that bull, big seven by seven i saw um but it was just one of those things where the wolves moved in the animals moved out and there was this little draw i was moving through and just cow calling and i just had that feeling you know when something's staring at you and you just yep. feel it I, I know exactly what you're talking about i felt that feeling like something was staring at me i looked to my left and at 15 yards, there is a wolf just trotting at me. I was, I usually cow call when I'm walking through thick brush to cover my sound. And he, he was coming to that cow call and he was trotting in at me and I pulled back my bow with, and I, and I tried to cow call to stop the wolf. But what, what do you think the wolf's going to do with a cow call? It just sped up his pace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just comes I'm in like, quicker. Oh, he just came in quicker. So then I just had a, I finally just had to shoot right under his chin and put it right you know, right in the center chest. He took two leaps off, tipped over. And I was just blown away. I'm like, holy crap. Can't believe that's just happened. <laughs> then the whole, the whole pack came out of the brush and was just sniffing that wolf. Like what, what the freak just happened? I was like, <laughs> I'm like arrow, 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 got another arrow, knock, pulled back. And I'm looking and I'm like, you know, I, I had two trees and I could see a neck of a wolf. And I'm like, you know, Usually I wouldn't shoot this like on any other animal, but it's a wolf. I got to knock it down. You Send know? that traffic, brother. Send it. And I shot and I just hear yelp and it just folded right on top of the other one. I'm like, what? Whoa, man. Knocked, knocked another arrow. And, and I see two wolves left and they just scatter. And it's that snow brush that's about belly deep high. Uh-huh. Um, at that point, they were, I'd say they're about 20 yards at that point, if I remember right. And I couldn't see the fourth one, but I see the third one. And so I, I knock another arrow and they had no clue where this is coming from. I stuck that third one and believe it or not, that sucker ran past me two yards, two steps. Seriously. And, and I uh, just like, I just kind of stepped to the side and I let that thing run past me. And he was so like, it, you could see him just like losing consciousness as he was running. Like his eyes were closing and he was stumbling over blowdowns and stuff and, and the blood was just pouring out and he just disappeared in the snow brush. So here's the unfortunate Dude. thing. I did not, I did not find the third wolf, but I know he was dead. I just don't know where he died. Oh, and, <laughs> and he kind of got in, he got into this huckleberry brush patch where it's like, you know, huckleberry brush is mm-hmm. red yep. and we had a rain that morning. So just a combination of that, the blood was just, it kind of just mixed in there and I'm sitting there wiping my finger on huckleberry brush like okay see the huckleberry brush is red is that blood or is that just the brush color yeah and you're wiping it because it's wet and so you, i'm just not getting blood 
And I was just tracking in and just looking in there. And at that point, that tall, tall brush, I could have been two steps from it and I, I couldn't see it because the brush oh, yeah. is so thick. I, I know and, I know that stuff very well, man. I hate huckleberry, berry, unless I'm huckleberry hunting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could get pretty tall. So anyways, I was just like, well, I got, I know, well, I'm sure that one's dead. I mean, I saw it lose consciousness, you know, like he was losing mm-hmm. it. And he even made a good size stumble. Like I almost thought he, he was going to tip right next to me. But anyways, I had the two dead there and yeah, that was a crazy experience, but, and you know, that was still during a time I was, I was still going through the learning curve. But over time I found out that was a very popular denning site where I killed those, those wolves. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. And so that actually, after I spent some time in there, I realized that's actually a very common area they use. And so I've used that to my advantage later huh. on. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with like a lightning round of questions regarding this course. Okay. So okay. are you are you ready? You pumped? Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> are people are are people going to learn? Um. Uh, I'm sorry. I got I got off track there. Somebody texted me. That's a problem with recording over the phone, like we're doing. Is, you is yeah. yeah, you get a text and then it might, you know, I'm uh, ADD anyway. But, mm-hmm. um, okay, are people going to learn like wolf behavioral things? Yes. And you're going to teach how to locate wolves and, and like the why of locating. Like, this is why you're going to find them here, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, I show maps. I show maps and everything and where you'd expect to see them. Yeah. Ah, sweet. See that's that's imperative in my in in my opinion. Are people going to learn like calling techniques? Yes. What about spot and stock kind of, kind of stuff? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I I show all these different scenarios. I even go through so all of our stuck in our videos. You know, so when I edit a video, I just go. I make it entertaining, right? I'm just yeah, like, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm just, I heard you talking about that with your sister, with mm-hmm. mule deer, and talking mm-hmm. about how. Um, and, and I want to bring this point up real quick, not, not to cut you off. I, I'm, you know, famous for that, but you're good. Go. What, what you're talking about there is when, when you're making a YouTube video for the general public to watch, to be entertained, there's, there's elements of that to keep people engaged. Right. And that's just the reality of it. But when you're talking about something that where somebody needs to take the information that you're talking about and learn it sometimes that entertainment factor is out. And with the mule deer course, I, I remember you were talking to your, your sister about how people just need to kind of discipline themselves enough to watch the information and go through the information. So they actually learn it without worrying about being entertained. Am I off base? You're exactly right. Okay. You're because if you're not there to learn and you're there for entertainment, you're going to get bored. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm not sitting there. I'm not throwing fireworks and stuff. I'm not. I, this is a course. It's We're not. It's not cracking it. jokes and 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 all this kind of stuff. It's it's like real information that's applicable. Yes. And then I, what I do too, and and for me, I'm a visual learner, right? Like for me, like I can read a magazine article on how to hunt mule deer or whatever, but it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. Unless somebody actually shows me. So that's why I'm did the on same mule deer. way. Yeah, and so that's exactly what I did in the mule deer course. That's exactly what I did in the wolf course. And so what I did is I'm pulling the raw footage. I'm going back to those videos, and I'm actually pulling all the raw footage and showing them step by step. Like, I like this is why we why we came here, you know, like mm-hmm. because of this. This is why we did this because of this. And 
and I even, you know, in certain sections, I'm going to, ha- I have to explain what's going on. I, I go in detail on the entire hunt from start to finish and how we found that pack to how we executed the pack. And so I do that on all the wolf <laughs> videos, including the new, and this is actually what's really neat too, is so um, the last wolves I killed, you probably saw that photo. I killed four wolves. Mm-hmm. That, yep. So that's when I got, you know, obviously I got the perfect wolf gun designed with the suppressor and everything. I was like, I got to recreate what I did with the bow, like where they don't know what's going on. And so in that same scenario, and this is really awesome because that's the time I was creating the class. I literally went step by step in how to kill those wolves before I killed them. I like got up that morning and I was like, I'm in the mountains right now. This I'm um, right now I'm analyzing and I just go through step by step. And, and I even told people that usually if I find wolf sign, it takes me four days to find the pack. I found the wolf pack in two days this time. And, and I went and executed it. And so I, I showed it. Completely. <laughs> I got to stop. Oh, when you say you're, you're, you're talking about you executed the pack. Well, pretty much. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like execute. <laughs> I love four, it. Man. I, I, I love saw, it. Well, okay. I saw five wolves, four died, one escaped from me. So dude, I need then, a, I, I need to buy you a beer or something. That's fantastic. No, you're good. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I get into it when I start telling my stories because I get really excited. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can tell. You got me a, you got me a wolf hunt. I'm probably going wolf hunt tomorrow now. Now that I'm just talking about it, dude, just, come like, pick start... me up, man. I don't, I, yeah. I don't work tomorrow. Come pick me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just start getting excited, but, uh, um, but yeah, it, so I, I go in detail on all that stuff. I mean, and that's the thing too. So the difference, the reason why the Mueller course is so much cheaper than the wolf course because you and I talked about this already. A lot of people already know about mule deer. And mm-hmm. so I don't have to talk. I don't have to go in complete detail about the hoof of a mule deer. You know, like mule deer have hooves. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to really do that. Everybody knows that a mule deer has a hoof. See, you know, I didn't. Deer, I, I didn't know, man. I thought they had I, I thought they had paws. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> but like I have to go down to talk to like explain people what a wolf track looks like, because a lot of wolf hunters. They don't know the difference between a mountain lion and even a rabbit. And I'm, I'm not making fun of people when I say that, but like, you know, sometimes rabbits will spread their feet. And so people get the, the, you know, the idea that it's a wolf yeah, or and, a, but that's not offensive, man. I always look at it like not. this, man. It, yeah, like some people like, like you're one of those dudes, you are, you are fully immersed in this stuff in your life. This, this is what your pack. I can tell when you tell me stories about the wolves you got, you, you are passionate as all get out. And what what this course is going to do is help people that, you know, they have their day jobs, they have their family, they have their the, these other obligations and stresses and these things in their lives that make it so they're not necessarily experts on wolves, but they want to be. They want to help the cause. They want to shoot a wolf. They want to they want to get a wolf down and get the reimbursement from F4WM. Which, by the way, if you if you're taking the course in Idaho and Montana, do not go wolf hunting or trapping without being a member of F4WM and save your receipts. You'll get reimbursed. It's it's a simple concept. We've talked about it a million times on this show. But anyway, the point is, is like like you are 
immersed in it. And so you know exactly how to identify a wolf track over a mountain lion track. The common oh, yeah. person out there is not going to know that knowledge. And it's not offensive. They're the, they're, with, with their day job, they could tell you and I things that we wouldn't have a clue about, right? And so exactly. it's the same kind of thing. You're just trying to translate this information to people that haven't been fully immersed in it to help them be successful in the field. And and that's an important point to make. And, and I hope people, like, you know, take an understanding to that without being, like, butthurt about it. Make sense? Yeah, exactly. People, that's the thing. I, you know, you have to really humble yourself with this situation. You know, and that's what I do is, like, for me, I have to think about that because, yeah, like you said, I know what a mountain line track is. I can drive down the road. 40 miles an hour and if i see i can see a wolf track comparative like there could be deer elk mountain lion but like i see a wolf track i slam on the brakes i know it's a wolf track like i i've just seen how their strides are and everything i just mm-hmm. it's it's kind of come second nature to me but someone who's first time hunting they're probably going to have to stop at every track in the snow like what is that and oh, analyze it yeah and yeah, I've found yeah. myself doing that. I've I've sat there and I've analyzed like, is this a mountain lion or is this a wolf track? And mm-hmm. and so that's the kind of stuff that would help guys like me when when we're we're out there with with, with this course. Sorry, not not to try to overly promote this for for you listening out there, but that's kind of the point of this discussion. Is mm-hmm. so many people have expressed interest in becoming success successful. I'm getting tongue tied here. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> successful wolf hunters and they ask me how to go about it and i don't have an answer for them with I, I guys i'm not trying to like overly promote it like tom are you gonna pay me are you gonna pay me for prom- promoting this course heck no okay so just so everybody knows i'm not getting paid for this like i'm, I'm not getting a cut of it uh it's just genuinely and legitimately so many people have asked me through the course ever since the first few episodes when we had like we had Justin Webb on Justin Webb was one of the first guests on the show uh, a couple a few years ago a couple years ago I don't I don't know how many years ago we I think we're coming up on anyway um and ever since then People have been asking me, how do I become an expert at this well I I don't know but now I have the answer cuz I met Tom Schneider and yeah. so, so that, that's why I, I'm pushing this stuff. It's, it's that important to me and you folks listening in like Washington and Oregon. Um, it's, it, I think this, this would be critical for you as well, because if, if you guys that, that come over here to like Idaho and Montana to, to hunt elk and you get you a wolf tag, invest in yourself to actually punch that wolf tag. Like if you're in California Listening, we, we have a lot of listeners in California and places like Texas and Pennsylvania. Um, you guys all come out west to hunt. And and I always encourage you, you guys have heard me encourage you a million times to get a wolf tag just, just in case. But if you invest a little bit more and take this course, and let's say you're up on the mountain and... and you you get a you get an idea you find some wolf sign you see some tracks you see some uh whatever the case is or maybe the whole drainage you're hunting is totally quiet that's a really good indicator there's probably wolves in the area all of a sudden you're going to have this knowledge to pull out of your toolbox and maybe go punch a tag on a wolf anyways again soapbox man i went off on a soapbox i i I want dead wolves (laughs) Yeah, no, and that and that's where I'm at too. You know, I've actually had a couple um, Washington hunters, you know, talk to me, and I'm I'm for me, I I hunt out of state, so I'm totally cool with people coming here too. But at the same mm-hmm. time, yeah, 
the way the reason why that out-of-state hunter killed a deer or an elk is because there's wolf trappers and hunters that have been knocking the wolves down in those areas and so you know th- a thank you is great but also them contributing the time too and uh, yeah just keep like for us all i ask is to keep a wolf tag in your pocket you know because that can happen wolf tag because that's yeah you don't want to miss that opportunity and well let me say this keep a couple wolf tags in your pocket because usually more than one ends up showing up and so and i even had guys say that where they're just like oh like i shot one wolf but i couldn't shoot the rest of the pack because i only have one tag it's like don't do that to yourself. It's okay. Just buy a couple more tags. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're super cheap, man. Even for non-residents, they're super cheap. But do you know what they are for non-residents? I think it's like forty bucks or something per wolf tag. Per wolf tag. But, so, but, but remember, yeah. you get your wolf. That's gonna pay for it. it. Yeah. One, a wolf is incredible. Like, I mean, they are really cool. I will say, like, I, I may be. There's moments where I'm like, I don't like the, what they do, the damage they do, but. They're a really cool animal. When you walk up to it, it's like, man, I got to get that mounted. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. In, <laughs> you've probably been here in the Cenex here in town, in Clark Fork. They've got this wolf mount right over the oh, entry yes. door. <laughs> they just oh, put yeah. a Santa Claus hat on them because it's it's the season. But um, it, it is, man. I know exactly what you're saying. Like, for me, I wish they never would have reintroduced them to the Intermountain West. But mm-hmm. they have. And so the reality is, and the thing that I've talked about on this show uh, for a long time is is we have to accept the reality that wolves are here and just require the management from us as hunters and trappers to keep the numbers in check because if you go out there and you start talking about you know shoot shovel shut up uh, out on Facebook and whatnot these pro wolf and these anti hunting organizations they pick up on that kind of stuff and so that's the inappropriate way to approach this the right way to approach this is to educate yourself on how to hunt them and manage them and become part of the solution instead of part of the problem which is feeding right into PETA's freaking propaganda machine that they put out on social media all the time and mm-hmm. and and it's so critical and, and and I don't know where you stand on it Tom but that that is that stuff is so critical in my mind uh as as we move forward in this 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 new age of this anti hunting you know this pro wolf pro I don't know what it is about predator animals in general um they're cute they're cute yeah they're cute you know a cute grizzly bear and a cute you know wolf and and these these hollywood images that they propagate on on the general public just make it very difficult for us so we've got to stop with this sss bullshit and start talking about what is a real solution because people that write sss on facebook have never sss jack shit and so oh, yeah. sorry man i get again going off here so yeah uh, well, no, yeah no i agree with you so like you know we talked about the foundation for wildlife management yeah you know yeah. why that Idaho has the best management program than any other state in the lower 48. It's because we F4WM. S4WM. Does F4WM promote illegal activity and killing wolves and shutting up about it? No. No, they don't. No, they provide a solution. They provide they a provide viable a solution. solution. And they work with the state in the making, you know, good plans. And, good, and, and everybody doesn't like that. I don't know why people don't like that. They're like, they shouldn't be working with the state. They, you know, it's like, I know <laughs> what like uh, that's, that's yeah. how you make plans. I mean, you know, these are like, look at Washington and this thing is like, you know, and I even look at Montana and I'm not saying anything bad about Montana. Cause I love hunting Montana. 
Oh, yeah. But there's trappers and hound hunters that can't get along because the hound hunter ends up, one of their hounds get in a trap and they get pissed off at at trappers. Yep. You know, and vice versa. But the reality is the trapper's there to keep the wolves down. And if the trapper's not there, then the hounds get killed by wolves. And so, so what I like about the Foundation for Wildlife Management is everybody, houndsmen, trappers, hunters have all got together and said, we need to, we need to create a good solution. And that's why Idaho has such an amazing management plan. They, we've actually been doing really well and probably the most effective out out of any of the other states right now. To include Alaska at this point, like that, you, you made a wonderful point there, Tom. Um, it, we, we've all got hunting organizations and like we have Idaho Trappers Association, which I'm a member of and I, I'm a big fan of. I'm, it, but, but the Foundation for Wildlife Management, uh, it, it, what, what you just talked about is beneficial to all parties. It is benef- it's even beneficial to pro wolf lovers that have no sense of reality when it comes to what a real wolf actually is because they live in downtown San Francisco and think that wolves are cute and cuddly. It's even beneficial to them because there's one or two things that are going to happen. And that is the wolf population will get so out of hand that the state agencies will take control and eradicate them. Like what, what happened. And that seems like, you know, unrealistic, but that, that is a truly potential outcome for these wolves. If, if they get so out of hand, the state agencies will do that. The other, the other side to that is the wolves will become so out of hand that they, uh, you know, eradicate basically all the other wildlife around. And, and we've get what, what, uh, Dr. Valeris Geis calls a predator pit throughout the state of Idaho and and we've just got no ungulate species left, and and that's going to be bad for the wolf as well. And so, yeah. Anyways, again, you could tell, man, I get I get real passionate about this kind of stuff because I, it's so important, and the messaging in which we do this is so important as well. Um, is there? I, I know I'm keeping you along here, man, but I, I want to touch okay. on the mule deer course before we we cut this off. But the, is there anything else that you want to touch on when it comes to? Uh, the, the wolf, uh, I, I'm sorry, wolf hunting master's class. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The wolf, the wolf hunting master class, wolf hunting master's class. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Actually, why don't you tell us how much it is? It's 447. Sorry. <laughs> 447 is the, is the rate it's going. And okay. I really spent a lot of time thinking about that. You know, for me, I want it to be affordable for everybody, but at the same time, you know, I just, like I said, I don't want people to neglect the information either. I, it's it's nice for me to be able to work with a small amount of people and helping them become better wolf hunters. First, I want variety, in, man. variety. Yeah, and I, so I, that's not and, like if you think about the reimbursement rates that the the first wolf you get will pay for that. Exactly, exactly, and and that's you know and and it's like you know compared to the mule deer class, you know, I think I was saying was the mule deer course. I, it's not as much because a lot of the information people know the basics of a mule deer, mm-hmm. um, and but the wolf I have to go straight to square one and teach everything about a wolf because there's no information on it. So I have to go that route, and I had to. There's a lot of information in there that's going to help you guys out, and in the long run, it's going to save you money. This is a long. I'm not doing this for just to help you guys short term. This is a this is to help you long term. And let's, let's, let's be honest, man. There's not going to be like the masses of hunters out there are not going to go drop almost $500 on a wolf class, right? 
Right. But the That's ones exactly. that do are going to are going to put that money to use. They want that money back. Exactly. Like me, I'll I'll get the course, dude. I'll I'll buy it tonight. Uh I I I'm all over that kind of thing cuz I I am one of those people that I will dedicate myself to getting out there and getting reimbursed for that money and and seeing the results and it's not about the money for me for me it's about I I am sick of driving up my roads in the morning when I'm on my way to go elk hunting and seeing a moose ripped apart in the middle of the road that wasn't there the night before when I drove out of there. And I, I'm sick of the moose getting wiped out. I'm sick of the elk getting wiped out. I'm sick of the mule deer getting wiped out. And and all these things that factor into this problem that a lot of people want to turn a blind eye to that is a lack of predatory management with, with our wolves. I don't want to see wolves eradicated from the landscape. I don't. I, I like having them. I actually really like hearing them. In the, I hear them from my property sometimes. And I like hearing them. But they need to be managed. Just like everything else out there, they, there needs to be a management system. You can't... This whole philosophy of let nature be nature is so out of balance and out of touch with reality. It, I, I can't even... I could do a whole podcast on that topic. Mm-hmm. We have to manage these animals. And and if we're going to, we have to be effective at it so that we're not educating these animals. Just like all you Doug Fluties out there that sit on the road without even t- turning your four-wheeler off and bugling at elk. Like, what? Th- these elk do this for a living. You think they don't know what you're doing? You're educating these elk. And it's tenfold when you're talking about a wolf because they're that much smarter. Exactly. So, uh... I, I think it's a great deal. I think it's a great deal. 447, is that what you said? Yes. So in most uh, areas, the minimum, and and maybe you can help me with this, Tom. I'm like kind of a little bit out of touch with this, but at 4WM, the minimum reimbursement is 500. Yeah. So if you kill one wolf in Montana or Idaho, the minimum is 500 bucks. You get 500 bucks back. You get a situation like me. The last time I was out, killed four wolves. That's a good chunk of money. That's a good well, chunk of money. A, what if you're in the area of, of thousand bucks of wolves? I mean, it goes up to yeah, uh, like I, I think it's like unit ten or something. Like they're huge reimbursement numbers. Yeah, you can get up to two twenty five hundred a wolf. Imagine if you killed four wolves in that unit. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That, not to mention, good. not to mention if you if you sell a skull or you hide hide the wolf out. You know all those mm-hmm. things that you can because you got to check a wolf in, but you still get to keep all like. F4WM isn't taking your hide and then reimbursing you, right? Exactly. Like, you keep the hide. You keep the skull. Um, no, it's a great program, man. It's great. Mm-hmm. Can we can we switch gears here for just a sec and just cover your mule deer course? Yes. All right. Mule deer mode. All right. I, I, I apologize. I know we're going long, man. Um, but oh, you're, uh, good. you're, you're good. like one of those yeah. guests that uh, when I get on the show, I'm, I'm going to keep you. You're like my – you're like – this is hostage situation until you hang up on me, right? Dude, I'm good. This, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I got time, so we're good. I'm let me good. ask, let me ask you something, man. Being being a North Idaho guy, um, we're not particularly known for our uh, epic mule deer hunting, right? Right. What what got you into uh, what got you so into mule deer hunting? So, I mean, I think it was the sense of that first time of being, I think it was just the image of being in a burn and seeing a big 28-inch wide mealy with a doe with my dad being mm-hmm. 12 years old. 
You were 12? I was, yes, I was 12. Okay. And my brother was, he's two years older than me, so he was 14. My little bro- my older brother shot that mule. He was 180 class buck. Oh, yeah, 14, wow. 14 years old. And it just, in that deep snow, it was just the most majestic animal. And I still have that image in my head to this day. And ever since then, I've just been hooked. But same or do where it's like, you know, as a kid, I would just hit that same spot. Like, you know, I, that's all I knew, but to go was to that spot. And I didn't yeah. really know how to, you know, how to hunt muleys, but I just wanted to recreate that image in my head. And, you know, we'd hit that mule deer elevation. And back then there was actually a lot of mule deer. So it didn't take a skilled mule deer hunter to actually learn how to hunt mule deer. Um, but I started learning a lot about snow conditions and how to, you know, find muleys you know, how bucks react to the rut. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I mean, I gained a great foundation on how to hunt big timber muleys by, I'd say it was what about 2008 is when I started my, like I started killing consistent big bucks uh-huh. and it started uh-huh. going on. And then I started to travel. So then I traveled to Southern Idaho. I've hunted muleys in Southern Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, central and the, and the timber side of Montana um, Utah, we've actually killed some good bucks in Utah. Oh, really? And, yeah. And, uh, there was a thing where I was like, I started thinking that they were different mule deer, which they kind of are, right? They do act a little bit different, but then I started realizing that they're all the same deer. It's just the weather's different. The terrain's different. All yeah, these was, other things are just I was going to say the, the landscape, they, they just live you know, based on the landscape they're on, right? That's the only difference. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. And, and so that's with that wide variety of knowledge that we've gained mule deer hunt, and we've been successful in pulling big bucks in these other areas, open country, timber country. I I actually decided, like, you know what, like this would be great for the mule deer class, and just and I taught, I taught like if the like if the terrain's like this, hunt it like this. If the terrain's like that, hunt it like that. And I explain why I, uh, I go same thing with the wolves. I, I do in a sense, explain the mule deer and why does a big buck act the way he does mainly that mm-hmm. this course actually doesn't just focus on mule deer in general, but I'm actually focusing on big bucks because big bucks act much different than the rest of mule deer, young yeah, bucks totally. and does. There's a reason why a big buck's still alive, especially where I live and you live. This is public land, a general tag where anybody can grab a tag and go hunt. In most cases, I think what there's a limit with non-residents, right? Yeah, there there is. But it's um, not. It, it but depends I mean, on the unit. Right, right. Um, it it does depends on the unit in in Idaho. Um, but there's a lot of like well, at least where I live, it, it's pretty easy to get a tag. So those mute, big muley bucks really know how to hide. Yeah, and yep. and they get really elusive. Um, but the thing is, what I've started to notice was even the most hardcore mule deer hunters that taught me how to hunt big muleys, they stopped killing big muleys after the wolves came through. And, and a lot of these other guys, and I started realizing I'm the only one still pulling big bucks. And I thought, and I thought that was really interesting, but I, what I realized was I was more versed with mule deer because of the other regions I've hunted. And so that's why, and, and I, a lot of that I also applied to the thick timber country, but vice versa too. So I'll go to hunting, you know, for example, I'll use this example. I hunted a, uh, oh, I, I don't know if I brought up Colorado. I pulled a big buck in Colorado two years ago and I kept in contact with eight other hunting groups. Not one of those eight 
not one of those hunting groups pulled a buck off that mountain. <laughs> oh, that's right. I heard you talk about this somewhere. Yeah. And so, I, and, and yeah, go ahead. And so what happened is like, I, I understood what, like the way the weather was acting and stuff, the bucks were timbering up. And some of these guys were just like, Oh, we just glassing them. We just weren't seeing them. Like, did you check the timber? No. Like those bucks, like they're in the timber. You got, you know, some people, when they see Muley's head, the timber, it's like the hunt's over for the day. It's chill out at camp. And then we'll just glass in the evening when the deer come back out. It's like, you know, the deer don't, it, don't disappear off the face of the earth. Yeah. They're still, they're still on the earth. Like you have to just know how to hunt them in the timber and you can literally hunt mule deer all day. And so that, I, that's a lot. I teach that a lot in the course, but I do know for a fact that my biggest sales, the biggest sales that I got with the mule deer was the rut because we were really well known in hunting mule deer during the rut. And yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, so you lot, guys are. And so that's what a lot of people thought. Like a lot of people that, think of us they think of that the november big rotten bucks and so um i i know for a fact like when i went through november it was just like i was getting sales like crazy and it was great because i and i was getting tons of photos like people were sending photos of all the big bucks they're killing i had this first time oh my gosh i was so jealous he just pulled it just a giant and i just got back from kodiak island and he's like oh thank you so much for this course this is a big buck and i was like whoa <laughs> <I'm> pretty impressed <laughs> close to where i hunt you i'm like i'm happy for you but can i be jealous at the same time um but i was super happy for him but that's it that's that makes that's what i want to see from everybody i yeah. want to see your yeah, success yeah. i want everybody to give me feedback and to show me your success and the same thing with the wolf course too like for me too although although you know it's for predator management Wolf hunting is a fun man. Like it, calling in dude, a wolf, act. it would be a ball. It'd be a ball. Yeah, imagine calling in a bull elk. That uh-huh. that's heart racing. Imagine an entire wolf pack circling you, like six of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Barking. I, it's it's an it, interesting thing, alley. man. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, uh, yeah, I yeah. said what I gotta say. No, a, a totally interesting thing. I, I and I love it, man. It's. You like you're a man after my own heart when it comes to first of all I I love mule deer hunting I I am a I am a mule deer fanatic because that's what I grew up doing in fact mule deer wrecked me for everything else like yeah. I I was taught that you hunt everything like you hunt a mule deer and I'm I'm really good at finding mule deer and hunting mule deer uh but I I it, it screwed me when it comes to like elk hunting and whitetail hunting I've just gotten into whitetail hunting the last few years. And I'm starting to get a pretty good handle on it, but you know, I, and, and, and this is what I wanted to ask you because, uh, this is just my personal opinion from a guy who's hunted both, uh, through multiple different States. In my opinion, there is nothing dumber than a three point or less mule deer that changes. However, there's like, like there's like a two or three point whitetail is pretty they're pretty, uh, they're pretty cunning. They're pretty smart. They're not, they're not dummies. They get kind of dumb, you know, around this time in November. Uh, but like yesterday I had, I had like this, uh, I I don't know what he was. I didn't look at him that hard two by three white tail. And he's just like walking right in front of me, dude. And he knew I was there, but he didn't care. He just kept, I mean, 35, 40 yards. Uh, I could have used a slingshot and, and, and knocked him over. 
Uh, it was super funny. So this time of year they get dumb. But the point being is like a three-point mule deer is dumber than a three-point whitetail in my opinion. However, there is a shift that happens where you get this big mature mule deer buck. And in my opinion, they are wiser and smarter than a big whitetail. And I don't mean to offend any whitetail guys out there when I say that. But there is something like you can't pattern them, in my opinion. I, I don't know. A, am I off base? Tell me what your thoughts are on it, because you're the you're the expert. Well, I killed whitetails, too. And yeah, I mean, well, I think it's anything that gets big, like, like a bull elk. I, I get those bull, you know, there's those big bull elk. They don't come in the calls anymore. Yeah. They don't yeah. winter with the other elk. They actually winter on north slopes, completely avoid the other <laughs> the other elk. And they, yep. they're completely unpre- unpredictable. Um, mule, big muley bucks are the same way. And, you know, honestly, it's just like, sometimes you just catch them during the rut. And we do teach that. We teach that, like, you know, how do you catch those big bucks in the rut? Cause you can go in their area. Um, I'll give you a good example. So here's a buck that I've been watching, um, still alive. Haven't killed him yet, yet. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I like I your attitude, sh- brother. Yeah. So got his sheds from this spring or yeah, I, I watched him this winter picked up his sheds. And then, you know, for me, I know, you know, with my knowledge of mealies, I knew where he was going to summer. So what did I do? I set trail cams in the summering grounds. I got photos of him this summer. And so, you know, I'm, I'm knowing what this deer's doing. Yeah. A lot of people would have, you know, they pick up the sheds, but they don't know how, where he's going to be at this summer, early fall. Um, so like I teach you that I teach you how to scalp, find these bucks, find these big bucks where they're living. You won't find that buck in the same spot you're going to find does or younger bucks like you're talking about where they're dumb. Yeah. And they, they put themselves in areas where they're vulnerable. Big bucks, big mealy bucks don't put themselves where they're vulnerable. You will notice they're in completely different terrain. And, you know, I'll be even that we've done the early archery season, you know, in the fall. Um, you'll see those big bucks. They're nowhere near the big groups of bucks you'll see these groups of bucks and stuff you know like in utah we hunted utah and mm-hmm. uh, there'd be these big groups of muleys and you know but you would not see a big one and all of a sudden you see this big masher and he's all by himself way up the canyon yep and and it's like well why is he there and why are they there i teach you that you know that's that's all being taught in the course is all that and then on top of that the timber country. And, and I actually got a lot of people from British Columbia because British Columbia muley hunting is the same, like the big timber country in Idaho and Montana, even yeah. Washington, you know, they, they got the same muleys. And so they're, they're hunting that country. You're when you're hunting big timber country, you, your binos are not really helpful for you. I mean, you, <laughs> you still use, them, I've tried like, to explain that people don't believe me when I say that, man, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. It's just that, they don't really do much for you and all your shots. I mean, yeah, they're an archery range, but usually you don't, you know, if you're packing your bows, you're not going to have much of a shooting lane because of all the brush and stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, but timber hunting is a very, like it's, it can be very effective if you do it right. And a lot of guys just walk aimlessly in the timber, hoping they catch a big buck. And, and especially in this era, when you got wolves, that makes it a bit more difficult. But for me, you know, I, I just, it, it just kind of comes natural to me to, to find the deer elevation, to find the deer when the snow does this, I find them here. If the snow does that, I find them there. If it rains, you know, if it, it's just understanding, okay. you I, know, all the scenarios again, you know, going back to scenarios and, and knowing 
how to find deer that way. See, man, I, I need that course, man. Um, I, like I mastered mule deer hunting in Utah in that big wide open terrain and super high elevation. I can find them. I can find those. It's big, fun. Yeah, oh, it's so much fun, man. I, one of my favorite hunts. So one thing I miss about, uh, I, I guess it was back in like 2007 or 2008. I took a job down in Salt Lake and moved back down there for a couple of years and I did this hunt, and I'm not going to say the unit in case some, it's somebody else's favorite hunt down there. It was a ball, this early season archery hunt, and there were bucks everywhere, man. And we're like 10,000 feet elevation, um, but they were they were on the move that that early in the year. They're just moving all the time, right? And and so anyway, it, it was a it was a riot, and I miss that. I miss that big time, and I've never been able to repl- replicate it in this in this big timber country of north idaho i can always find mule deer and i can find decent mule deer i but i can't seem to find monster mule deer like i had the ability to in utah and so i'm i want to take that course too i'm I'm going to become a phd in stuck in the rut content over this uh this winter dude that's awesome yeah no, I, I appreciate it, Tom. I We're going on uh, just about two hours here, man. I, I didn't mean to keep you this long, but it's, it's been a great conversation. Uh, there There's so much content out there, and I just appreciate you coming on and sharing this. I think a lot of people would get a lot out of these courses, uh, whether it's the mule deer hunt or the, the wolf hunting master class. It's also the mule deer hunting master, master class, right? Yeah, so, so the mule deer – I. So, because obviously that was my first one, I ended up being a little too wordy when I, when I first, um, purchased the domain name, I purchased it as stuck in a rut mule deer masterclass. Oh, gotcha. Uh, and yeah, and yeah. I was like, man, that's just a bit wordy. So with the wolf, <laughs> so, with the, so that's the mule deer class, but then the wolf is the wolf hunting masterclass, but I'll, I'll give you both links so that you can leave it on there for them. So anyone can just click it or just lead them right to where they want to go. Perfect. Yeah, guys. So that's all going to be in the show notes. Um, so you guys can check that out and see, you know, I want you guys to look at it, like, like jump on there and, and really consider how important is this stuff to you? Like, like instead of maybe if you've got a pack you bought a year or two ago, instead of upgrading that for this upcoming season, maybe invest in your own knowledge. And I, we've said this a million times with some of the other courses we've had on here for elk hunting or whatever. But, um, this is, this is important stuff. Like, like master your craft and this is how you do it from people that have mastered it and spent a decade in the field. Instead of spending, spending a decade in the field, trying to master it yourself, jump on and buy this class. I, I think it's worth it. Like I'm going to, so I, I just, I don't know. You got anything to add to that, Tom? Oh, I, I think that's great. Yeah. Master your, you know, and the other thing, just the last thing I want to mention too, is I try, for me, I'm a simple man. And so I try to simplify what's difficult. And so in the course, I'm trying to simplify wolf hunting to people, you know, really mm-hmm. make it make sense. For me, that's with mule deer too. I, I have to learn everything about the animal to become the perfect hunter. And, and so like, I, I don't just teach about how to hunt, but I have to teach exactly what the animal does like how the animal behaves and then certain techniques and how I like to execute the hunt. Everybody has their own techniques, but I have a specific technique and how I like to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more than just one, cause I think that's what makes you a better hunter, right? If you have five or six different techniques to hunt the timber, 
five or six different techniques to hunt the open country. Yeah, you need yeah, those for, sure. for all the different scenarios, depending on weather. I mean, I, I know mule deer hunters, that guys that are just really skilled at it, but if the weather's just wrong, they don't kill deer, you know, like that's if me. It's like, that, that, that's totally me. <laughs> like it has to be a certain exact weather type for me to be successful. Yeah. And so like I teach all, you know, all those, and, and obviously, you know, although I'm doing all the talking, this is not just knowledge coming from me. This is coming from all the best mule deer hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, this is same thing with wolf hunting. Like I'm surrounded by some of the best wolf trappers known. Like, I mean, one guy, I'm not going to give the name. He's, he's a guy that's really low profile, but he and his son are up to 80 something plus wolves in Idaho right now. And, you know, that's him fantastic. and I, him and I bounce information off each other all the time. If I notice something's going on, I tell him if he knows something's going on. And so like, this is like, although I'm the, the, the teacher, I'm giving you the best knowledge from guys that really know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's, that's exactly the concept that we talk about a lot on this program is, you know, that, that collective of ideas if you will, you know, where our mind's a toolbox, we just need the tools in our mind, right? And so that's that's what this offers. And so, man, that's awesome. That's awesome stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on. Dude, I, I appreciate so much just having me on. And yeah, it's just good to it's good to talk to people. I, I'm out here in the bush all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Always up in the mountains. Dude, talking to the animals. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great, man. I I need to come up and uh, uh we'll I'll buy you a cup of coffee or something up at Bonner's Ferry at some point and uh well uh, it's it's great to know that you're out there and uh didn't didn't know you guys were this close to me and and so mm-hmm. uh definitely hit me up if you're in uh, Clark Fork and uh just uh, again, thanks for coming on, Tom. Uh this this was a great conversation. I I'd love to do this again just to kind of keep people updated as, as things change and, and, and move forward. So let's, let's keep in touch. Um, the, the wolf hunting masterclass and the mule deer hunting masterclass, but was stuck in the rut before it on the website, guys, all that stuff's going to be in the show notes. Uh, seriously, check it out. See what you guys think. And Tom, again, uh, thanks for coming on, man. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Hey, thank you so much for having me. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain